True repentance includes a change about His rule over us. And if you look at it, it's, it's obvious, isn't it? It all goes together. A change of mind that leads to a change of action for sinners must be that we change our mind about our sins. We change our mind about ourselves. We change our mind about God. Well, we're only going to consider one other thing this morning. We want to consider our second point, the urgency of repentance. The urgency of repentance. Now, brethren, once we've said all of these things, it's very easy for us to just pack up, leave, get in the car, go home, forget all about it. Well, we had a lecture this morning. He went a little longer or he went a little shorter than he did last time. He went a little louder, a little softer than he was before. But you see, the very words of Christ in this passage are absolutely crucial. Notice, it says in verse 14, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. What in the world does that mean? What's that got to do with repentance? What does that mean to you and me? Well, first of all, in this first clause, the time is fulfilled. We see the completion of the old and the arrival of the new. The completion of the old and the arrival of the new. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. The word fulfilled means to complete a period of time, to reach an end, to fill up. And the New Testament writers often used it to express the fulfillment of prophetic hope in the time of the Messiah. What this means is that God makes a promise. There is an elapse of time. Then God brings His promise to pass. The time is fulfilled. That's what it means. This is why Mark begins his gospel with the words of the prophet. Go back and look. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it's interesting that the King James translators don't put a period there. There's a semicolon. The thought continues, in other words. And the beginning of the gospel is rooted in the words of the prophets. In other other words, the gospel is not just something that fell out of the sky in New Testament times. No, it says, as it is written, what's his appeal to? The Word of God and the prophets of God who were inspired by the Spirit of God. And the prophets said, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make His paths 
straight. So what is Mark saying? Well, if you take all three of those verses together, we can bring it down to this. Or maybe better to say it, we can explain it this way. There is the promise. It's written in the prophets. The time has elapsed. And with the appearance of John the Baptist and Jesus, God brings His promise to pass. The time is fulfilled. Do you see that? God spoke what He had purposed from the foundation of the world. And when those prophets were speaking about the coming one and the coming kingdom, the very hope of the hearts of those of Israel looked. They looked and they looked into the future to that glorious time when Jesus uttered the words, The time is fulfilled. Brethren, God's glorious faithfulness was being magnified. And the truth was standing before them in a human body. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The time is fulfilled. Mark's emphasis is not simply that an allotted duration of time has passed away, but that a new era which God has promised in the prophets has now arrived. This is God's sovereign hand unfolding His prophetic purpose at His appointed time. Though the appearance of John the Baptist, the promised messenger, the voice crying in the wilderness, the one sent to prepare Israel for her Lord, and the appearance of Jesus the Christ means that God has kept His promise. The time is fulfilled. Paul puts it this way. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. Brethren, this is the sovereign hand of God. This is the sovereign time of God. If God had been pleased, He could have sent the Savior right after Adam sinned so that generations of people would not have been judged and lost into hell. Why did Jesus come when He did? And why hasn't He come back yet? He came when He did because God sovereignly chose for Him to come at that time in that way to fulfill His eternal purpose. Thus, what Jesus is saying in verse 15 is that God made a promise. He let time pass according to His wise and sovereign purpose and that promise has arrived in His appointed time in me. A new era has begun. God's promise has now entered history and is an undeniable fact the time is fulfilled. But brethren, he goes on. 
there is the inauguration of God's kingdom. It's not just some nameless new era. What's the promise that God has made and is now a reality? Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. God's kingdom. The words at hand mean to draw near, to approach. God's kingdom has drawn near you, says Jesus. Over and over the Old Testament pointed to a coming one and a coming kingdom. Daniel chapter 2 verse 44 says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Amen. And these kings shall the God of heaven set up, uh, excuse me, which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdoms shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Brethren, that's not something way off in the future. That was inaugurated when Jesus Christ said, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God draws near. He wasn't saying, Well, it's just a little closer than it used to be. He said, It's standing before you in me. Isaiah 9, verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Now stop with me and go to a passage you've heard many times. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What is that? Is that us simply getting decisions out of sinners? No. It's as we go with the gospel of God's grace with each sinner that is brought to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God grows. And it's growing. And it's growing as the parables talk about the mustard seed. Growing and growing. Going out and preaching the gospel isn't simply about getting converts. It's about the glories of the King conquering all the nations. The gospel of the kingdom is here. And it's here in me, says Jesus. The Lord Jesus is telling us that this object of hope, this son that we can expect from the prophecies of the Old Testament, this object of hope which for the Old Testament, which in the Old Testament was future, is now present. And it is spreading. God's sovereign rule has entered history in a new way. As Jesus proclaims in Luke 11:20, If I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt, the kingdom of God is come upon you.
You say, well, okay, Jesus is saying there's a promise, coming one, coming kingdom. He's fulfilling that. This kingdom is growing. What's that got to do with repentance? That kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness. It is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus talked about it to Nicodemus. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The Spirit of God is within you. It's not bombs and guns and soldiers like that. It is the glorious transformation of God bringing the gospel, conquering sinners by His grace and bringing them into His holy kingdom to make them His beloved sons and daughters. And brethren, that kingdom is here now. That king is ruling now. And his command is repent ye and believe the gospel. The next time you see him, it will be as the judge of all. So the urgency is that the king of the kingdom tells us now, repent and believe. Don't pull it off. Don't sit down and get philosophical. Don't say, oh, I'm kind of young now. I'll wait till I'll get older and then maybe I'll get interested in religious things. Well, you probably will. You'll get interested in religious things and be lost forever. But the king of the kingdom says, now, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. The very king of the great and righteous kingdom is calling sinners and the day will come when you will not hear him call again except come to judgment. Oh, repent. John came to the people of Israel to prepare a way for the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he tell them? Repent. It's written in the Gospels. It's written in the Prophets. Repent, repent. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Repent and believe. Christ is a willing Savior. We will take up the relationship between repentance and faith next time. But I say to you today, if there hasn't been a change in mind, a change of your mind about sin. There hasn't been a change of mind about yourself. If there hasn't been a change of mind about God, hear the command of the King. Repent and believe. Believe unto everlasting life. Amen. Brother Lynn, would you close us in prayer, please? This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, 
containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L 3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.